0: It is a delight to be with you this morning. I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 22, and if we had the time, we would read the whole thing. We don't. So I just want to read you the opening verses and then pray, and we'll dive in. Hear the word of the Lord. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. Please pray with me. Our God, we come together as your people. A people who most others in this world do not know our names or even of our existence. And they certainly don't know our pains, our fears. But you know them all. You know us. Lord, would you meet us even now and may your grace move into the cracks and crevices of our hearts exactly where it's needed. We pray this in the name of our risen King. Amen. So I know it's funny to start this way because we don't know each other, but I have to tell you something about my father. My father has a problem. <laughs> he's in America. He's in California. He'll never know, right? <laughs> but I grew when I grew up, my dad would often be in the kitchen. I was in the kitchen this morning with Mark Thompson. He, he wasn't doing this, but it made me think of it, actually. My dad would be in the kitchen doing dishes, like Mark was, but my dad would always be singing. So he'd always be singing, but, but here is the problem. He, he'd always be singing, but he only knows the first line of any song. I'm not This is all true. So this is a little taste of the soundtrack I grew up with. Born free, free as can be. That's it, though. That's the only line, over and over. Born free, born free. Uh, another hit in the Capic household was, Besame cuando, besme mucho, over and over. That, it's not even a line, it's two words, right? And then another big one was, Going to the chapel and um And that's over and over. Now, as you can imagine, it doesn't take long for that to move from funny to want to strangle the person, Right? And it starts to drive you crazy, and you can be sympathetic with my mother as she has dealt with this. The sad news is that this is a gene that was passed on to me, (laughs) so you can pray for my marriage. But you understand that the reason that would drive Tabitha or my mother crazy is because if someone only knows the first line of a song, they don't actually know the song. They don't know the song. You want to hear the whole thing. And today I want to talk about singing and I want to look at a psalm together, Psalm 22, because this is a psalm that was written to be sung, to be remembered and to be formative of the lives of those who sing it. We're going to look at two things. First, our pain is real. Our pain is real. And secondly, but we can sing, but we can sing. Our pain is real. This psalm begins with some of the most penetrating words you will find in any of Western literature. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And my guess is everyone in this room has heard that before. In fact, we've probably heard it a number of times so that it it bounces off of us. It doesn't really hit. So I'm going to read it again and try and imagine you've never heard it before. From from the scriptures my god my god why have you forsaken me that's not actually what you and I expect in the scriptures. If we're having a small group or a prayer meeting, and in our prayer meeting, someone, when it's their time to pray, they say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We don't take that as a sign of strong spirituality. We take that as a problem of they probably need to be pulled aside and say, hey, what's going on? With but these are words in Holy Scripture. This is a song from the scriptures, And as you may know, this is a seminary, this is a a college, but Psalm 22 is a lament. It's a song of grief, asking the great questions, how and why? And here, you have the, the words of a lament, where words simply are trying to approximate these deep groanings that we feel. Why am I forsaken by God? Why does God feel so distant from me, so absent when I call? And trust me, friends, I know it's a a seminary and you're training for ministry. I know you're not free of this. These are challenges for us in this room as well. Where we constantly cry out to God and you hear nothing in return. And with the psalmist in verse 2, sometimes you say, I find no rest. Notice also there's an inner tension built into this. This is not just a, oh, I feel forsaken by the world. It's not just, I feel forsaken by this abstract force out there. Did you catch it? This is my God. This is not a foreign deity he's upset with. This is my God. Why have you forsaken me? It's been argued by some that this psalm is an exilic psalm, right? In other words, it was written while well, Israel was in, in exile. They're not in the promised land. They're not enjoying the benefits of being near the temple. And when, when people found themselves in exile, when one is in exile, one seems so distant from the God of Israel. My guess is all of us at different times have had a taste of exile. Where you and I cry out, but our prayers, if we're honest, never seem to rise above the ceiling. You do them because you know you're supposed to. But you wonder, are they going anywhere? Has your situation made you feel like you're in some sort of exile, cast away from the very presence of God? Let me ask you a different question. Does a silence scare you? I mean, honestly, does it frighten you to be alone with God? I know everyone in this room knows they're supposed to pray or but pray, but many of us go in and get out as quick as we can because we're scared to death. Either there's really no one listening, or even worse, we believe he is listening, but he just doesn't give a rip. He just doesn't care. Is he concerned? The psalmist does not, distru- does not deny these struggles, but he wrestles through them. He feels abandoned himself. He reminds himself, though, in verse 3, of God's faithfulness to his people. He reminds himself, as we were just told, he reminds himself of God's faithfulness in the past and, and reminds himself God won't abandon him in the present. So the, the psalmist brings himself to hope in God's deliverance that he will be rescued and that one day he will sing the song of God's victory. So here we have a lament and a prayer and the praise of Psalm 22. He doesn't deny his pain, but he's hoping, he's waiting for this future deliverance. I remember some years ago where we live, Hurricane Ivan came through in our house as an old house, and I won't do tell you all the details, but basically it rained and it rained and we had a bad basement and I kept checking it and thinking we're going to be okay and then all of a sudden at night, right before we went to bed, the whole floor was covered with water. And every hour is up with a sump pump working and and it was getting higher and higher and five inches and it was going up the furnace and I thought and it's just this helpless feeling, when will it rain? And that is a trifle compared to some of the crises in your lives. But when you feel like there's, you know at some point it's going to stop raining. At some point the pain won't continue. But you don't know when. You don't know, you have this abandoned type feeling but the psalm tells us that the pain is real, that rain can be real, but it's not the end of the story. God will not allow it to be the end of the story. So now let's turn, spend a little more time on this, but we can sing. It's at this point in the psalm that we might be tempted to think that we are the psalmist. We put ourselves here in this place and we say, I can relate to these words. And, and I've been doing that with you. And if you can relate to the things I've said so far, I hope that, that's good. That's a good thing. But here's the challenge. If you and I go, oh, the psalmist felt abandoned, I feel abandoned, <clears throat> that's okay, I can relate. That's good, but if that's all we get from it, we're in trouble. So we're going to explore some things that are really pretty wonderful you will know this in this setting, but, but just to remind you, the Bible didn't come with chapters and verses, right? It didn't have that. So how, you know, when New Testament authors, for example, want to point readers to an Old Testament text, how do they do it? Well, the way they do it is they would cite a key verse, and that verse would take the readers back to that portion of Scripture. It's basically ancient Near Eastern shorthand. Right? It's the way you would point to things. And you know where I'm going with this. Psalm 22. Where do you hear that show up in the New Testament? We think of Matthew 27 and Mark 15. Jesus on the cross, and we hear him crying out. And the text says, he cries out in a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. All the Aramaic scholars in this room can translate that, right? None of us know Aramaic. Well, a couple of fancy scholars, but (laughs) my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here, Jesus is on the cross and he is heard crying out the cry of lament. Now, let me tell you something you may not know. Matthew and Mark quote Jesus citing the first line of Psalm 22 And in Luke's gospel, in Luke 23, you find that the last recorded words of Jesus are, into your hands I commit my spirit. And those are from Psalm 30, verse 5. And it's from this that in the ancient church, a tradition grew that said that Jesus on the cross was likely singing or quietly praying this portion of the Psalms as he hung on the cross. He was praying or singing the Psalms. And what I want us to understand is that when Jesus cries out these words on the cross, more more is being said than a painful cry. Now, listen to me carefully. More, but not less than a painful cry. More, but not less. Jesus really feels this sense of abandonment. Of loneliness this isn't just a joke this isn't just Jesus play-acting he feels the, the, the cry of dereliction he's facing the reality of sin of exile of the curse but he faces it head-on he really means it when he says my God my God why have you forsaken me but remember this is a song and it's a song that the Jews would know I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but certainly in America and in the South where we're currently living, you can find yourself graveside. And as the body of a loved one goes into the grave, as the tears are rolling, you might have someone quietly just begin to say, sing, Amazing. And what does everyone there start to do? They start to sing the song with them. Because everyone there knows the words. They begin to sing the song together. To sing the song of hope in the midst of great pain. The playwright Arthur Miller has a play called The Crucible. It was made into a a, a movie at one point. And at one scene, there's this older faithful woman and a husband and a wife. And I can't tell you the whole scene, but basically they are unjustly having nooses. They're going to be hung, and nooses are hung around their neck. And the camera comes in, and you can see the three of them as they're about to be hung. And the older woman all of the sudden begins to say the Lord's Prayer, our Father, in a weak trembling voice, our Father, who aren't in heaven. And then before she gets very far, the two other voices join her and they turn from timid and shaky to strong and courageous. But then as the camera goes in, you move from three to two and you hear thud and one less voice and the two remaining get louder and stronger and then thud until there's one last voice at the top of the lung saying your kingdom come your will be done on earth you see in the midst of this this of this great threat came courage in a song psalm 22 If we had time to look at it, many of you know, uh, this so resembles what you find in the Gospels. In the ancient church, they called it the fifth passion narrative. And the question I have for us this morning is, how is this psalm, how is this song transformed? How is it transformed? And here's the heart of the answer. It's transformed because of the one who sang it. It's transformed because of the one who sang it. When Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't want you and I to stop there at the first line of the song. Jesus identifies himself as the forsaken one. He identifies Himself as the one who faced exile, who, who cried out to God, who could not find rest. He's the one, as the psalm goes on, who suffered as a worm. He's the one who faces the scorn of men. He is the one who truly incarnated, who took to Himself the full reality of Psalm 22. But Jesus wants us to sing the whole song. Jesus trusts his Father. But his trust is different than the original psalmist. Jesus trusts his Father not to rescue him from death, as the original psalmist asked for in, in verse 19, but rather to be delivered not from death, but to be delivered through death. He on the cross, Jesus faces the great black hole of hell. And he does not turn to the side, but as a warrior, he enters into the very shadows of death. Into evil itself, he enters into sin. Jesus enters into our forsakenness. I'm a theologian, it's what I do for a living. And so, and many of you are going into ministry, you're going to face the same thing. People ask you all kinds of questions. And it doesn't take long for my answers to become You know, it's almost a joke, right? The answer is basically Jesus, whatever the question is, right? And we kind of laugh about it. But it's true. If God is sovereign, if He really cares, why did He allow 9-11, September 11th in America? If God cares about me, why did He allow my parents to hurt me so bad? If God is not distant and unconcerned, why do I feel so afraid, so condemned, so alone, Beloved, here's the strangeness of God. He answers those real questions through the power of weakness. Through the power of weakness. God in Christ does not stand off in some cosmic distance, doesn't throw us a bottle with a note in it, and it says, we open it and says, Hey, be be happy. Stop complaining. God doesn't answer our questions that way. You know how God deals with our forsakenness? You know how He deals with our exile? You know how He deals with our sin? God deals with it by assuming it to Himself. By taking it to Himself. The Father sends the Son. The Son comes in humility. He comes in weakness. He comes in pain. And on the cross, Jesus faces the chaos of this world. And He faces it head on. The one who is truly God and truly man cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Remember, I told you in the ancient Near East there are no... There are no verses here. And so the Jewish listeners would hear this and they would begin to sing like Amazing Grace, sing the whole song, and we're almost out of time. So I just give you a few hints and then I got something really fun at the end. You can't miss it. Here's a taste. Verse 26 in Psalm 22. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. But beloved, now listen to how the psalm ends. Posterity shall serve Him. Who? It shall be told of the Lord in the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn that He has done it. That sound familiar? He has done it. John 19:30. It is finished. Where the original psalmist wrote of his lament and his prayer and his hope, Jesus embodies the lament. He pray, prays the prayer and he becomes the hope. Now here's the final thing, and we can't stop without doing this. Hebrews 2 quotes from Psalm 22. In Hebrews 2.12, he quotes Psalm 22.22, and here's what it says, I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Here's the amazing thing. When the author of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 22, I don't know if you caught it, but he puts those words from the psalm right in the mouth of Jesus. He puts them in the mouth of Jesus. Here's what he's saying. Jesus sings in the midst of the congregation. He is the singing Savior. When you and I sing, I want you to have the courage sometimes, and sometimes when you are feeling cast out, when you are feeling God is distant, when the last thing you could possibly do is sing God's praises, don't worry. Close your eyes and listen because Jesus is in our midst and He is leading the praise. He is not only the one we praise, He is the one who praises for us. Listen for Jesus as He sings in our praise. I'll conclude with this. In World War I, some of you may know this story, but in World War I, there were Germans and the English and they were dug into their trenches and it was awful, as you know. The bloodshed was terrible. And they were dug in at this one point and it was Christmas Eve and as the night became dark and the fog went in the the shooting stopped and in christmas eve from what we can tell one of the soldiers began to sing silent night and even if you don't know the other language if you don't know german you know the tune and what happened was, as this began to be sung, soldiers, other soldiers began to sing, and then on the opposite side, soldiers began to sing. And this is true. Eventually, people came out of the trenches. And on that Christmas day, they came together. We, and there, there are episodes we know. They played some football, some soccer. They played some card games. They exchanged trinkets and there was peace that day do you know what happened the next day the shooting began again do you know why because the people that sang the song together were just troops But what if the leaders of those countries had come out, had come together? Beloved, Jesus is the King. He is the one who has come to sing the song. And He has sung the lament so that you and I can sing the song of hope. We sing because Jesus sings. And that's why we need to know more than the first line of the song. We need to know how the song ends. Because in its ending is our hope. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for the great gifts of Your Son and Spirit. Would You be with these, Your people? You know their various aches, their sadness, their sense of forsakenness. Some feel in exile and have told no one. Some feel like You have not been there for ages. Would You, by Your Spirit and through Your people, comfort, draw near, and give grace? It is in the name of our risen and singing King we pray. Amen.